The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I'm absolutely delighted today to bring to us Dr. Gail Hansen. She is the Senior Officer for the Pew Charitable Trust Campaign on Human Health and Industrial Farming. She was the State Epidemiologist and State Public Health Veterinarian for the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. She has served on infectious disease committees, worked on the Senate, and was in private veterinary clinical practice. She has received her veterinary degree from the University of Minnesota and a Master's of Public Health from the University of Washington. She is very well qualified to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is antibiotic resistance. Dr. Hansen, welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. I heard you speak at an Association of Healthcare Journalists meeting, and after I heard you speak, I thought, oh, I've got to have you on this radio program. You are so wise and so well-informed about this issue. Tell me something. What is antibiotic resistance, and why is it so important that we talk about it today? Well, antibiotic resistance is, is, is that the antibiotics that are used to treat our diseases, that we rely upon to, re- to treat our diseases, the bacteria are becoming more and more resistant to them. That means that when we need them, those antibiotics to treat disease, they won't work for us anymore. That's a problem. It was a great thing to have antibiotics in the last century. It was one of the, the biggest medical advances in the last century. We certainly don't want to lose that. It's frightening because first the story was MRSA, or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. We heard that more people were dying from MRSA than AIDS in the United States. And then during your talk, other bacteria and antibiotic resistance start coming into play. So we've got salmonella that's resistant now, and we've got E. coli. How did the resistance happen? Well, resistance happens any time you use antibiotics at all, you'll get resistance because the bacteria are very good at at figuring out how to survive and become resistant. The problem gets to be that the more we misuse and overuse antibiotics and use them inappropriately, then you're setting up yourself for, for failure. You're setting up a recipe for disaster of getting antibiotic resistance bacteria. The bacteria... If they, as, as they see, as they see the antibiotic, they learn how to become resistant to it. The more we use it and the more we use it inappropriately and misuse it and overuse it, the more chances the bacteria have of becoming resistant. And that's what's happening. And we're seeing that with a, a whole, as you said, a whole range of bacteria. Now, Dr. Hansen, you know, as a dietitian, the education has mostly been for our profession through the Food and Drug Administration. And that education has focused on reminding our patients and clients that when you're sick with a bacterial infection and you get a prescription for an antibiotic, that you are very careful and you take your antibiotics fully to help prevent resistance. But then later on in my career, I learned that 
the amount of antibiotics used in human health pales in comparison to the antibiotics that are used in the livestock industry. What is the percentage of all antibiotics that are used by livestock versus human health? Well, that's um, a good question. Until this year or late last year, we really didn't have that answer. We just had best guesses. But now we know that over 70% of the antibiotics that are sold in this country are sold to give to animals and not to people. And many of those antibiotics that are sold for, for animal use are sold over the counter without a veterinary prescription, and they are sold not to treat disease, but to be given to perfectly healthy animals. And so are the antibiotics just automatically included in the feed? Are they injected into the animal? How do these animals get this routine dose of antibiotics? Most of the antibiotics that are given to food animals are given in the feed. There's some that's given in the water, and there's a very little bit of it that's, that's actually injected into every animal, but a lot of it is given in the feed. Some of it is given in the feed just to try to get the animals to grow faster hmm. and to grow uh, more efficiently. It has nothing to do with treating any disease at all. That's a, once again, that's a problem. Now, do farmers have to request from their feed mills feed that is free of the antibiotics, or does most of the feed already come with the antibiotics in it? Well, farmers can get the feed with or without antibiotics. What happens, though, is a lot of farmers, is they when they contract out with companies for raising chickens or, or pigs especially, they are told which feeds they're going to use, and often those feeds have antibiotics in them. The farmer may not have a choice. They're told, this is what you're going to feed your animals. You know, certainly if they have sick animals, a veterinarian can prescribe and, and does prescribe antibiotics if that's the right thing to to deal with an illness. But oftentimes the antibiotics are already in the feed and the farmers may decide to, to use them or it may be decided for them. That is shocking to me that the farmer wouldn't have a choice in you know choosing the kind of feed that is given to the animal. Oftentimes, and especially with the, the large industrial farms, that's part of the contract is you, you contract and use the feeds that you're told to, to use by the people who are going to buy your animals. And it's not open for debate. There's no discussion. Right. Hmm. <laughs> yep, that's, it's not the farmer's decision. Wow. So how much of a difference does it really make in terms of growth promotion? That's also open up to debate, and um, it really depends on what the farmer is doing and, and how the rest of the, the farm and the barn or the, the pens are, are doing. They find that, and, and what type of animals you're using. When they first did these studies, when they first discovered that this worked, which was back in the 1950s, hmm. they were seeing they could get a growth rate difference of up to 8%, which is, is substantial. But they also found, even at that time, that they got the best rates of growth in the places that had the worst hygiene. So basically, mm-hmm. you're sort of throwing an antibiotic on them to make things better and not really getting to the root cause of it. Now often, especially with chickens, they find that adding antibiotics to the feed doesn't give the chicken any advantage in growing faster. It doesn't give the farmer that advantage that they think they're getting. So basically, not only... Not only are they losing money or wasting money by putting antibiotics in the feed that they don't need and isn't helping 
grow the animals any faster, but then we've got this problem that we're setting up ourselves for antibiotic resistance, and we're seeing antibiotic resistance from that. You know, I had gone online. I was looking at some of the different animal industrial websites, and there was one that was from the pork producers, and I remember the description of the antibiotics that it was, oh, it was just a very small amount. And yet, it's my understanding that it that that's the problem, isn't it? It's that you're using these very small amounts that allow the bacteria to develop the resistance. That, that's exactly right. That if you're giving an antibiotic for treating a disease, it's, an, it's enough antibiotic to kill all or most of the bacteria. That's why, as you said earlier, when your physician says take this antibiotic, they want you to take all of it as prescribed for as long as they prescribe it so you get rid of all of, the, all of that bacteria. If you're giving it in low doses, and especially to animals that don't have disease, then any bacteria, that the antibiotic, as it encounters any of the bacteria, um, those bacteria that see that antibiotic come their way, basically they're eating it for breakfast. So they learn how to live in an environment that has an, a small amount of antibiotic in it, so they, they develop the resistance because that's what's all around them. So it is that low level that's a lot more dangerous than the higher level. So the, a very small amount of, of antibiotic actually is, is a much scarier thought than getting large amounts for a short period of time to, to cure a disease. Mm-hmm. And I recall that you had mentioned that there are alternative veterinary strategies to reduce the need for antibiotics because maybe the animal... Uh, you're going to reduce the risk that the animal gets sick, but you're also going to improve growth efficiency. And you went through um, certain strategies like weaning the animals later was more advantageous. Right, and there are, places, there are plenty of places in the United States and, the, and certainly in Europe. Europe doesn't allow the use of antibiotics for growth promotion at all or for not, any of the, what they call non-therapeutic use. You can use it, obviously, if you have a sick animal or sick animals, but not for these non-therapeutic uses. But they found, and we found, you know, plenty of farmers have found in this country that, as you said, for, for pigs, certainly if you wean the pigs later, if you change the diet a little bit, if you increase the space for the animals, if you change the amount of, of moisture, the humidity, the temperature, we have other other things that can be given to the animals or vaccines to prevent them from be, from getting diseases. There are additives that you can give that are not antibiotics that don't have harmful effect, other effects, unintended effects that that work. And, and like I said, improved hygiene, just making sure that you've got animals that are um, as clean as possible in an environment that's as clean as possible goes an awfully long way, yeah. you know, just as it does for us. That's right. That, that good old preventive medicine, right? Exactly. Now, you had described a situation in Denmark, which I think is fascinating, where Denmark phased out antibiotics, and what happened in Denmark? Well, in Denmark in the 1990s and in 2000, they phased out the use of antibiotics for growth promotion, basically any what they called non-therapeutic use of antibiotics. The, the animals had to be sick to get antibiotics, and it had to be prescribed by a veterinarian. And that was, you know, so that was 20 years ago. And in that time, or actually in sort of less than that time there, Certainly with pork, they increased their pork production by 50%. Denmark now leads the world in pork exports. They have similar kinds of farming that we do in the United States. It's very intensive farming for their, for their hogs. And in their broilers, their chickens, 
they'd had a 38% increase in production over that same time. So that would seem to be showing that, that things are working well. As, and they also, even for the number of pigs per sow, so the, the size of the litter and the health of the pigs, they've increased the number of live pigs that the sow gives birth to, another indication that things are still going just fine. And while they've done that, they've decreased their consumption of antibiotics by over 50% in that same amount of time, which was already much lower than what we use in the United States, but they've redu- they had reduced it even further, and now they're looking at even, you know, are there some farms that can do better? And they're, so they just keep on trying to do better. No impact on broiler production. They had a short-term impact with some of their baby pigs, but once again they figured out that increasing the the space for the pigs, changing their environment, giving them straw to play with, uh, weaning them later, they could overcome that problem. Now, have the Danes noticed any change in how this change in agriculture has impacted their public health? Well, what they've they've noticed is that uh, when they got rid of the antibiotics for growth promotion is that they've seen a decrease in antibiotic resistance in animals and in meat. So that's, you know, they're, they're certainly seeing that difference. You know, basically what the Danes decided was that, and, and really all of Europe is doing now, is that there were a few farms that were having a problem. Rather than, than making everybody sort of go down to that level, they raised the bar and, and helped those farmers that were having difficulty get up to a, a better standard. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Gail Hansen. She is the Senior Officer for the Pew Campaign on Human Health and Industrial Farming. She is a public health veterinarian with many years' experience in public health as well as animal well-being. Dr. Hansen, I have to ask you another question, and that has to do with the incentives. Now, in Denmark, if I'm recalling correctly, the pharmaceutical industry was not allowed to make a profit on the sale of antibiotics. And am I understanding that correctly? The veterinarians are not allowed to make a, a profit on antibiotics. Similarly to what we do in this country with, with human medicine, human medicine, your physician writes a prescription, you get it filled, and it gets um, filled usually at a pharmacy. In Denmark, they do the same thing with animal drugs, that veter- veterinarians will write a prescription and the farmer can get that prescription filled any place he or she wants to, but the veterinarian doesn't make a profit on that antibiotic or on those drugs. They, they've instituted some other things that we haven't done in this country. They did say that if you're, if you're a farmer, that you will have a veterinarian come on board, that, it, that preventive medicine for animals is as good as it is, or you know, at least as good as it is for people. So saying, yeah, if you're going to raise large numbers of animals, you are going to have a veterinarian who comes and looks at your at your animals to see what's going on, to help you prevent those diseases, to catch diseases when they're early, to help walk through um, what to do and to, to help if you've got a problem. Obviously coming in if you've got a problem as well, but at least coming in on a regular basis. Well, I'm really surprised that we haven't seen the similar changes within the United States, knowing the difference that this can make. I mean, my goodness, to increase production so much or so significantly just by eliminating a drug that's causing a human health problem would seem to make a lot of sense. And yet 
What's going on now legislatively? I know we've got the bill has been introduced by Representative Louise Slaughter, the only microbiologist in Congress, I might add, and she's introduced a bill called PAMPTA, or the Preservation of Antibiotics and the Medical Treatment Act. Where do we stand with that legislation? Well, as you said, Representative Slaughter has introduced this piece of legislation, which she had in, has been introduced in past Congresses. She's introduced it. We understand that somebody that the Senate will be introducing a, a similar bill. And what the Preservation of Antibiotics for Medical Treatment Act, or PAMTA, does is it says there are seven classes of drugs that are important in human medicine, and we shouldn't squander those on healthy animals. If the animals are sick, they should have absolutely get them, but the antibiotics should only be used for food animals if they're sick and not to, to be given for health, to healthy animals. And do you think there is hope that that legislation might pass this time? I am always have hope that, yeah. the, that the legislation will pass. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's a piece of legislation that makes sense. It's not a, a partisan piece of legislation because it's, it has to do with antibiotic resistance. And the antibiotic resistant bacteria really don't care how you vote. <laughs> you want to know something really frightening? I belong to the American Dietetic Association. That's my professional organization. And there are many health organizations that have signed on to PAMTA in support. Do you know that the American Dietetic Association has not signed on? I just think that's uh, incredibly shameful for any organization in public health not to join forces because I think, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's going to take many organizations and many voices speaking with their legislators in support of this legislation to get it to pass. What are your thoughts? I think you're exactly right. In, in the American Medical Association, the Nurses Association, the Public Health Association, the um, pediatricians have signed on. I'm a veterinarian, and I have to say I'm as disappointed. My organization, the American Veterinary Medical Association, has not signed on to PAMTA either, and it, this would seem to be um, a piece of legislation that is just works out well for everybody. You know, you talked about how do we, it's not only organizations that need to be contacting legislators, but, but individuals. And, and actually there is a new, Pew does have a new initiative that we're calling it Moms for Antibiotic Awareness to try to get moms to understand what's going on, to, to be aware of the issue and to be contacting the legislators and saying, you know, this is really makes a lot of sense. This is what I want to have for me and my family. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that a campaign that brings mothers to the table to say, hey, join with us, this is important, this is going to affect the health of your children, I don't think there's any stronger advocate than a group of mothers defending the health of their children. Absolutely. And, and um, Pew had, did a, a poll um, before we, we started, started this um, campaign, and, and it's really it's a grassroots movement, we just sort of, took a quick look at things, and, and there was a, a poll that we did of, of 800 American moms across the country who are voters and have kids under the age of 16, and 80% of them were concerned about giving antibiotics to animals that are produced for, for meat and poultry. Uh, 42% of those were saying they're very concerned about that practice of giving antibiotics to animals that aren't sick. We've got moms on our side now. 
and we can help bring more moms in. And we can certainly Google the Pew campaign on human health and industrial farming and get a wealth of information about the bigger picture of animal livestock agriculture. But also the website saveantibiotics.org is another terrific site. Am I missing anything? You've got it exactly right. Saveantibiotics.org will get you to a lot of in- information. And if you're interested in the Moms, the Moms for Antibiotic Awareness campaign, there's a link on saveantibiotics.org. If you click on that, and we'll give you all kinds of information on the, the Moms, anti- Moms for Antibiotic Awareness as well. And action things, things that you can actually do. So many times we feel like, you know, that it's a horrible thing, but what can I do? Exactly. Yeah, this is great. So this actually gives you things. This is what you can do as a mom. Wonderful. We will all join forces on this campaign. So the American Dietetic Association hasn't signed on. The American Veterinary Association has not signed on. Who else opposes this legislation, this life-saving legislation? Well, the the industrial farming type groups have not signed on. I mean, the agricultural groups would it would make sense for them to sign on some of them have some of the farmer some of the state farmers unions have signed on some have not the farm bureau has not signed on the pharmaceutical industries have not signed on but you know once again this is this is a public health issue that affects us all it's a community it's a community issue and it isn't it's not like i said it's not a partisan issue it isn't a vegetarian non-vegetarian issue this is a human community issue that's right. Like I said, the American Medical Association has signed on, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the World Health Organization hasn't signed on to it because they don't sign on to specific U.S. legislation, but they they all warn that the overuse of and the misuse of antibiotics is it's a serious and it's a growing problem. You know, Dr. Hansen, years ago I was at a conference where there was a researcher from UCLA who spoke, and I think it was that this lecture that I really sort of took my breath away when he said we are moving towards a society that does not have functioning antibiotics. And I thought about all the times antibiotics have either saved my life or contributed to ending a very uncomfortable infection, such as a bladder infection. And I thought, my gosh, think back, what would we do if we didn't have these wonderful antibiotics in our toolbox to keep us well? And I I fear for that in our future. It, and it's, I think it is something to to be concerned about that going back to an, a pre-antibiotic era, which there are very few of us who still remember that. I mean, my it's, that's my parents and grandparents' generation remember that of people who died because they had an infection and it couldn't be cured because we had we had nothing to cure it with. We now have antibiotics, but if we lose those antibiotics, we're back to where we were in in 1900. When are we going to get there? I can't give you a timeline because the antibiotics haven't given us one. Um, they work at their own at their own rate, but they're they're relentless. And I, you know, we can't tell. What, you know, we know that we're getting closer and closer to the edge of that cliff, mm. but we can't tell you when we're going to fall off the edge. Once we do, it's too late, though. You know, one of the arguments that's given for not supporting this legislation is that. You know, we and and I hate this argument. It's always that well, you know, we need this large, cheap food supply, which I don't think it's so cheap when you consider, you know, what is the cost of an antibiotic resistant infection? But I remember you had said that it would only cost five to ten dollars more per year 
if we gave up treating animals with antibiotics, and yet if we're increasing production, I would think that it would actually be a cost savings in the end. Well, that's, as you said, there's those sort of hidden costs that, that don't get put into the equation of what our food actually costs us. And yes, there were, there was a, um, there were several studies that the U.S. government took a look at and the, the information was that it would cost somewhere between four and ten dollars per person per year. That equates to about a quarter a week per person more in food costs to change to a system where we aren't using antibiotics for healthy animals, that we're using antibiotics for sick animals when they need it to get them healthy enough, you know, to get them healthy again, mm-hmm. um, but not to give them to healthy animals for reasons that have nothing to do with why we have antibiotics. You know, I'm familiar with the organization Healthcare Without Harm, and of course that organization works with hospitals, and there is a movement within some, I wish it was more, but some hospitals are looking now at buying meat from producers who do not use antibiotics because they don't want to bring meat into the hospital kitchen that has antibiotic-resistant bacteria on it. And I know that there's been... um, There have been studies looking at meat in the meat cases of grocery stores. And depending on, you know, what grocery store you've gone to and what food product you're buying, what meat you're buying, the results are different. But I tell consumers to assume that any meat they buy at the grocery store is going to contain some antibiotic-resistant bacteria on it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. When you look at the the U.S. government, does look at the amount of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that are found in our retail meat and animals and and people and sort of looking at all three of them, we see antibiotic-resistant bacteria on lots and lots of our meat because the government only looks at a a few types of of bacteria, the ones that tend to give us the the foodborne illnesses. They're looking at the salmonella, the E. coli, the campylobacter, and just looking at those, a lot of the meat the bacteria that's on it is resistant to antibiotics. You can't tell which one it is. You can't tell which one, which you know, which one of those pork chops or which one of those chicken breasts has bacteria or antibiotic-resistant bacteria. A lot of it does. So you just have to presume all of it does. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're certainly told to cook our meat thoroughly. That will help. But rather than putting the the burden of having clean and healthy meat on the you know the consumer only, and trying to keep your your kitchen as clean as a surgical suite. We really need to be looking at all parts of the, the food chain from the very beginning to the time it gets to our our kitchen. And how do we change things all the way upstream instead of just looking at the very end point? Absolutely. We have one minute left. Is there is there something that you have to let our listeners know that we haven't covered? I think it's absolutely important that people know that there there are things that they can do to become aware of, of what is in our meat, and I would certainly recommend that people go to our, the website saveantibiotics.org to get a lot more information. Wonderful. Well, this has been a terrific time together, and I want to thank you, Dr. Gail Hansen. She is the Senior Officer for the Pew Charitable Trust's the Campaign on Human Health and Industrial Farming. We will make sure that we have a link to the MOMS antibiotic site, the Save Antibiotics 
on the KOPN website so our listeners can go there for more information. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Dr. Hansen, for all of your work. And thank you so much for inviting me and letting me talk about this today.